no different. We're starting a new series today called No Fear. As you can see, it's kind of a play on words there. It's no and no. So uh, we're going to be talking this month about a couple different things about uh, the fear of the Lord. We are to know the fear of the Lord in our life, which is about having a reverence and a respect for him and honoring him in our life. And so we're going to be talking about that and the, the character of God and who he is and why we should fear him, why should we should know him and love him. Uh, but also about, you know, this is something everybody deals with is fear in their life. And uh, the, the idea behind this series is that if we know the fear of the Lord, we don't have to have any other fear. There's no place for fear in our life if we fear the Lord first in our life. So we're gonna take these, uh, there's five Sundays in October actually. And so uh, we're gonna have five Sundays on this this month and I'm really excited about it. Uh, the idea with the, the character of God is that uh, he is loving, he is compassionate, he is slow to anger, he's, he's merciful, but he's also holy. He's also a God of judgment. He's also a God that doesn't compromise. And so uh, if we're walking in the fear of the Lord, we can embrace and know and experience all that mercy and love that God has. But if we're rejecting God in our life, we would, ex we would eventually experience his judgment and the wrath of God even in life, the Bible talks about. So uh, there's a passage in uh, Romans that talks about uh, knowing the, uh, the goodness of God and also the severity of God. And so uh, we're gonna take these five weeks to do it. I'm really excited about it. Uh, in fact, I have asked my good friend Peter Warren to kick off our series this month. He's gonna come up in a moment. Uh, he's no stranger here. Uh, he's, he's spoken here a few times, but he, him and his family now are also, this is their home church. They moved here from Denver, Colorado, and uh, he was the director of YWAM Denver for, I said in the first service, about a thousand years. I, I was a couple years off, but it was a long, long time. Uh, been in ministry for a very long time. Uh, and has been uh, serving God in so many different facets. I was a worship leader for years, uh, still does, leads worship some. Uh, he's written books, he's written CDs. I mean, just a multifaceted, wonderful man of God who had a great influence and continues to have a great influence in mine and Joy's life. Him and his wife, Linda, have been a wonderful blessing to us. That's where Joy and I actually met out in Denver working uh, under their ministry. And so we can thank them for us having uh, come together. Thank you for that, guys. And uh, we've, they've just been such a blessing. And so we're excited to have them here. And uh, you, met, you probably don't see Peter a whole lot because he still travels a lot. He goes speaking all over the world uh, to different YWAM bases and different churches. And so he's gone a lot, but when he is in town, he's always here at New Hope. And uh, he's here today to share the word for us. So would you make him welcome as he comes up to share the word? This is our home church. We love it here. God relocated us here to Georgia uh, with, uh, with our kids and grandkids. And we just have really found a home here at uh, New Hope. And uh, so thank you, Pastor Reagan, for the opportunity to share today. And uh, what he asked me is, as we look at this topic of the fear of God, because this is a, a central doctrine in the Bible, right? The, the Bible doesn't, when the Bible mentions something a couple of times, it's important. But when it mentions it almost 200 times, the Bible mentions the fear of God or fearing Him almost 200 times, then it's important to God. But we tend to go to extremes uh, as human beings, and we need to look at this through what someone once called the radical middle. The radical middle is the place of balance because we tend to go one side or the other. And so looking at uh, the fear of God through the lens of the love of God, because uh, yes, consider the 
the kindness and the severity of God. The disciples in the book of Acts, uh, the Bible tells us, were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And when they did that, they were multiplied, it says. So I get the opportunity to talk about God's love today. Uh, What is God really like? Well, we just sang that song by Chris Tomlin. I've heard a thousand stories of the way they think you are. There are many perspectives in the world. And and what I want to do is kind of go through some of the main perspectives, the main concepts of God in the world today. Uh, So here are some of the main ones, because sometimes it's necessary to define what something is not to understand what it is. And in this case, to define who God is not so we can see who he is through the lens of his word. So one of the main concepts of God in the world today that millions of people believe in is that God is actually in nature. And they worship the things that are created, thinking that they are just intrinsic, that there wasn't a creator, but they are actually gods. That uh, they worship the, the rivers and the mountains and the stars. And, and this is called uh, monism, Okay, and uh, the other day, and when I say the other day, it could be last week or a few years ago. It actually was a few years ago. I was flying uh, between Tokyo, Japan, on my way to the southern part of the Korean peninsula, uh, a town called Jeju. And I was on the right side of the aircraft as we took off from Tokyo Narita Airport. And uh, as I looked out, uh, we took off past this beautiful volcano called Mount Fuji. But in Japanese Shintoism, uh, this is not a mountain. She's actually a goddess called Sengen-sama. Well, is Mount Fuji really a goddess? No. Even though there are millions of people who believe this, that's not who God is. But that's one of the concepts in the world. Many of these things have infiltrated our society where there are people believing these things. Another major concept of God in the world that's not the biblical concept is that there are many gods. Many gods in the world. Uh, This is called polytheism. uh, And it gives a place for relativism. In other words, there's no absolutes because you worship your God and I'll worship my God and just leave me alone. And don't tell me that Jesus is God because there are many gods and I'm worshiping this God. Well, they are false gods, but they're not the true living God. Another concept we find in the world today is what's called dualism. And dualism or dualism is the belief that God is both good and evil. The yin and the yang, the light side and the dark side. This was the basic philosophy behind Star Wars, by the way, that you have the force and then the dark side of the force. It's a way that... Some people in the world have come to explain why bad things happen. It's because God actually is causing everything because because God is both good and evil. No, that's not who God is. Another major stream, a major concept is what's called naturalism. Naturalism is the belief that there is no God that this physical world is all there is. And when we die, we just cease to exist. And strangely, some people find some kind of comfort in that. Uh, Naturalism is the basis for humanism. 
just uh, you do good to others. It's the basis for atheism. Uh, and so if you don't believe God exists, you have to come up with some reason to believe the universe exists. And so evolution is one of the ways that people have explained this, that this all came from nothing. Um, the anthem for, uh, for this belief system of, of naturalism in my generation was written by one of the founding members of the Beatles. Have you heard of the Beatles? You guys ever heard of the Beatles? A guy called John Lennon and wrote a song after they'd split up actually called Imagine, Imagine There's No Heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Wow, I'd say how hopeless is that belief system. But there are many people who've come to that place because they've rejected the biblical concept of God usually because of some hurt in their lives where they've attributed to him, no, there is no God. And then there are many people in the world who believe that one God created everything. This is called monotheism. And monotheism is the belief, yes, one God created everything. But not all monotheistic belief systems believe that Jesus is God. And so you have cults that don't they all all cults have one similar thing in common they deny the deity of Christ you have Judaism Judaism yeah just think of the god of the old testament without the new testament the largest monotheistic belief system in the world is islam over a billion people believing that god is infinite allah is infinite but he's not personal well, that's not who the God of the Bible is. In the Quran, there are 99 names for Allah. Not one of them is love. Not one of them is Father. And then we arrive at this, the biblical concept of God. So here are some, and these are not mutually exclusive. Some of them overlap with each other. But the Bible gives a picture of who God is. And the person who knows God because he is God, but knows God the Father the most, is Jesus. And he told a story about who God is. But the Bible is primarily stories. You know, the Bible is almost 400 stories. It is actually primarily narrative. 83% of this book is narrative. Only 17% conceptual. 83% narrative, 400 stories, but there are principles, truths embedded in those stories. So when you meditate on it and you study it, some of these hidden treasures come to the surface, right? You know what I'm talking about? And you go, wow, look at this incredible truth. Well, one of those stories Jesus told, you know it well, because this is not a new message for us, but I want to kind of, again, look at it from a, a little bit different perspective. It's the story of the prodigal son. But really, someone said it should be called the story of the prodigal father because the word prodigal means extravagant. And really, this father was amazing in Jesus' story that he told. And really, you know what he was saying? He was saying, this is the way God the Father is. So let me recount the story before we look at some specific verses and then describe the biblical concept of God. So the story is a father and his two sons. One day, the youngest son says to his dad, 
Dad, I'm, go- I'm getting ready to get on with the rest of my life. Give me the part of my inheritance, because he was a wealthy man, that belongs to me. The father surprisingly gives his son what he asked for. After a few days, the son leaves on a journey, ends up wasting his entire inheritance on loose living and, and shames his father's name and ends up destitute and hungry and feeding pigs for a living. And he's so hungry, he's thinking of actually eating the pig's food. That's how bad off he was. And as he is in this place of desperation, he has this idea. Even, even the servants in my dad's household are taken care of. I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to ask him if he'll let me just be like one of the servants. And so he comes up with this plan and he begins to make his way back to his homeland. But when his father sees him at a distance, <laughs> he runs toward him and embraces him. He underestimated the extent of his father's love and his father welcomed him back into his midst. The other person in the story, the third person, was the other brother. When he saw how much his dad loved his brother, he was angry. He said, I've been serving you all these years. Here you kill the fatted calf, which is a big deal for them to have a barbecue. And for me, you never even gave me a, a, a little goat that I would barbecue it and celebrate with my friends. And here this son of yours returns who squandered your inheritance with harlots. You, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he was angry because he compared himself with his brother and he felt like his dad loved his brother more than him. It wasn't true. That's the story. So let's, let's kind of unpack this a little bit. What is God like? Because Jesus isn't just talking some random story. He's talking about who our Father God is. So here are some, some attributes. I'm going to give you seven of them. Okay, so you know this must be of God because there are seven. No, that was a joke. Okay, but there are seven. I want to pull out seven attributes of the character of God. The first attribute we see here is that the Father in Jesus' story was just. Jesus was saying God is just through this. Verse 12, because I've heard people say, well, actually... The brother was upset because his father gave the inheritance to his, other, to his brother. No, that's not what happened because verse 12, it says uh, that uh, the younger brother asked, but he divided, what did he do? He divided to them his livelihood. One asked, two, both of them received. Okay, the father was just in what he took care of. And God is just. Sometimes we don't see the full extent of God's justice on earth. But the Bible promises us in Proverbs 11.1, 1, it says that God hates unjust scales. God is going to make everything right, but some of those rewards won't take place until heaven. But, but God hates unjust scales. What, is, what does that mean to us here in the 21st century? Well, this referred to a merchant in the marketplace who was ripping people off because he had an unjust scale. So he had a weight. I'll just use the term pounds, okay, that makes sense to us. It was different for them then. But he had what was a pound, but actually it was nine-tenths of a pound. So when he was measuring a pound of beans or rice or whatever, it actually was 10% less than what it was. So he was stealing from people. The Bible says God hates unjust scales. Your God 
My God, the God of the Bible is just. That's what Jesus was saying. Second attribute of the Father and Jesus' story was that He was, I'm so grateful God is this way, slow to anger. We're told that in their culture, and and this is still true today, that uh, a Jewish boy or a child would receive his or her inheritance at birth, but actually wouldn't take possession of that inheritance until the parent had died. By asking for his inheritance ahead of time, the son was basically saying, Dad, uh, seems like you're never going to die. I need to get on with the rest of my life. Give me what belongs to me now so I can go and have fun with my friends. No Jewish boy would ever think, let alone say such a thing. If he did, he'd probably be beaten, maybe even disowned. But the father in Jesus' story was different. He actually gave his son what he asked for. I want you just to picture the the scribes and Pharisees and the others listening to Jesus tell this story. Even more outrageous than the son's request was the father's response. He didn't slap him across the face with the back of his hand. He didn't react in anger. He didn't lose his temper. (laughs) Incredible. In the midst of his humiliation and pain, he actually was gracious and loving and generous. This is the way God is. This is what Jesus was saying through this story, that God the Father is slow to anger. King David wrote this about God, Psalm 103, 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Another attribute we see of the Father in Jesus' story was that he took care of those who served him. Verse 17, the younger son said, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare? And here I'm perishing with hunger. God will take care of you if you serve him. I have a personal example I'd like to tell you. So I grew up part of my life in Australia, but my parents were missionaries. My dad was a pastor. My mum was a nurse. And there were missionaries with the Australian Aborigines on an island in the Gulf of Carpentaria when I was born. Then we moved to South America. And in Argentina, we would get a check from the Mission Society in Sydney once a month. Uh, And my parents then would budget that and pay bills and buy food. One month, the check didn't arrive. Well, no problem. They could call the Mission Society and they could get it to them a different way. But except that, how many of you know when God speaks to you sometimes, He tells you to do things that are a challenge to your faith? Okay? Well, this is, this is the way it was with my parents. They felt God saying, don't call them. Trust me because I want to teach you something. So we ran out of food. We ate everything in the pantry. We ate everything in the fridge, in the freezer. I remember the day, I was about 14 or 15 years old, I remember the day when we ate the last bit of food in our household, which were these navy beans. My younger sister, who was 10 years younger than me, was learning to count, and there were these beans, and my mother took these beans and cooked it, and we ate it for dinner, and that was our last meal. Okay, as God is my witness, this is exactly what happened. 
we get up the next morning to go to school, open the front door, and there are about a dozen bags of groceries on the front. I'm not saying an angel put them there. Probably God spoke to someone to give to us, but God provided. You know, sometimes you get to your end of your rope, right? And you're going, I'm at the end of the rope. Listen, if you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and sit there. (laughs) Wait, because God is going to come through because this is the way God is. He takes care of those who serve Him. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Jesus is saying this. That's what He is saying through this. Another one, I love this about God because I know in my life I did a lot of bad things, but, but you know what? God is quick to forgive. The, the Father in Jesus' story was quick to forgive. He ran to meet His Son. Verse 20. And while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son didn't have to get all the way back. He didn't even have to make it to the gate. All he had to do was turn his face toward home. Listen, if we've messed up, the main thing God wants is for us to turn back to him. He's not saying, I want you to be perfect before I'll accept you. No, the son still had, he was still messed up on many levels, but he just turned toward home and his dad ran out and embraced him. But I don't know if you've wondered this, but why didn't the father go after his son when he left? Because in the two stories previous to this story in Luke 15, the owner of what was lost went after what was lost to try and regain it. The first story was the story of the lost sheep. And in the story of the lost sheep, the shepherd left his sheep with the keeper and the 99 and went after the one when he found it, bringing it back on his shoulders. The second story was the lost coin. And the woman who lost the coin, she put everything she had aside planned for that day and swept the house looking under every nook and cranny and, and I don't know what a cranny is but she looked there and she she was she, until she found her coin but in the story of the lost son the father didn't go after the son why not what was different I want to suggest to you that that the difference was that the, the sheep was lost foolishly and the coin was lost accidentally But the son was lost by choice. And even though it breaks his heart, God gives us the authority to choose the trajectory of our own lives. He's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't desire that any would perish. But our salvation with him must be understood in the context of our love relationship with him. And love relationships must be reciprocal. And so... The son didn't have to get all the way back, but he had to at least turn toward home. Oh, God is merciful. Don't you love that he ran toward him? Because God, our God, is full of mercy. The Bible uses these adjectives for God's mercy. Ephesians 2.4 says that he is rich in mercy. When someone's rich, it's me, it means they've got a lot of something. Usually we're talking about money. Um, But in this case, God is rich in mercy. When you delight in something, you find a way to do it. Pastor Reagan finds a way to play golf. 
in his schedule. He finds a way because he enjoys golf. Now, I've seen him drive, and I'm not sure why, but he loves golf. No, that was a, a, a low blow. It's not true. He can outdrive me. But, but God delights in mercy. Look, look at, um, at a, uh, what scripture is it? Micah 7.18. He finds a way to show mercy because he delights in mercy. Oh, isn't this awesome? I mean, it's so simple, isn't it? We know these things. Jesus was describing what our heavenly Father is like. As in the coming weeks, we look at the fear of God because the fear of God is how He wants us to love Him back. He wants us to obey His commandments and He wants us to put Him in the highest place in our lives. That's how we love Him back. But we have to start, and I'm so grateful, Pastor Reagan, that we're starting out this way to look at it through His love for us because it's because He first loved us that we Learn how to love him back by loving him in the way he wants to be loved. There's a couple more. I have three more. Number five attribute we see here. Not only does God take care of those who serve him, but he is extravagant. He is generous. The, the father in Jesus' story was generous. He was prodigal. He was extravagant in his generosity. Verse 22, he said, Bring out a robe. No, not a robe. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And then he goes on to say, let's kill the fatted calf and celebrate. Which leads us to the next aspect. God knows how to have fun. Number six. I grew up in a fairly traditional Christian family. My dad was an Anglican Church of England minister. And so there was a lot of things we didn't do. We didn't listen to secular music. We didn't swim on Sundays, which is a huge penalty for Australians. And we, uh, we, we didn't dance for sure. And we didn't play with cards. And I'm not saying we should do those things. Understand this. I'm not saying let's do them. But there was a lot of strict formality the father in Jesus' story that I see, he knew how to have fun. He knew how to celebrate. God knows how to celebrate, okay? He's not stodgy and uptight about things like many people think that he is. So I told the joke in the first service, I have to tell you. So the first pope arrived in heaven and went into the presence of the Lord. And a few moments later, he came out and St. Peter was standing, where does St. Peter stand? Usually at the pearly gates. Yeah, he was standing at the pearly gates and he said to the, the Pope, why do you look so sad? You were just in the presence of the Lord. And, and the Pope said, well, yeah, but, but the Lord told me that, that when he spoke to me that, that I misunderstood him all these years because he said, celebrate, not celibate. Okay, there's a form, all the former Catholics are clapping back there. Okay, so um, let's have a feast and celebrate. This is the way God is. He wants us to have fun, righteous fun, but He wants us to enjoy life with Him and with one another. Okay, the last one. The last attribute of this father was that he was personal. He was personal. My wife and I were talking about this. 
and, uh, and she said, honey, do you, do you realize that God is not personal with any other part of his creation except man? Wow, I thought that's incredible. Here's God. He created galaxies, 90 billion light years across so far that we know. And we are the only ones with whom he is personal. God is a personal God. But he's infinite. No other God is both infinite and personal except the God of the Bible. I mean, think of the infinite nature of God. Here, Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. Or in Him, all things consist. God is holding everything together. He is before all things. He's uncreated. I mean, you would think that God, who created all of this, would require that we bow down before Him. We bow low to the ground. And we don't speak until we're addressed. You know, and that when we do, that we start out by saying your majesty or your holiness or something. I mean, people do that for, for human authority figures and for human royalty. But no, Jesus said, when you come to God, start out with these two words, Matthew 6, 9. Our Father. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father. Wow. I love that about him. Don't you? I mean, Bible scholars generally concede that Jesus would have been using the Aramaic word Abba for Father. And what is often lost on us is how significant this was that he used this. This was a total departure from the norm because in their culture, all scripture was to be read and all prayers prayed in the Hebrew language, the, the, the sacred language of the Jewish people. By making our Father the primary title for God rather than the, the typical identifiers like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or other holy titles. By making it our Father. And to do so in the common language of the people, this was radical. He was saying, you can come to God in your own culture, in your own subculture, in your own way with your own words and your own mother tongue and to do so in a personal and intimate way. Incredible. I want to suggest to us today, this is the way God really is, told by the person who knew God the Father best. We have different concepts many times because of our own experiences with earthly fathers, but they were only here, fathers and mothers, to take care of us for a time until we could actually relate to God on a personal level. And this is the way that he is. Why do people struggle with this? Why do people struggle to really believe God is this way? Well, there are two main reasons. And I love the scriptures because those truths are embedded in God's Word. If you were to go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and say, what are two of the main reasons people struggle with the love of, uh, of others? One of them is comparison, and the other, they feel they've blown it and they feel unworthy. And these, this was on purpose. The two sons then exemplified these two things. The oldest son compared himself. And when he compared himself to his brother, he felt that his father loved his brother more. 
don't compare yourself because you're either going to feel superior or inferior. But to really understand who you are, you can't compare yourself with anyone else. Have you ever heard anyone say, when God made you, He threw away the mold? That, that's why you're unique, okay? When God made Joy's mum, Diane, He said, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> this, this, by the way, Diane, I said, can I use you as an example? She said, please do. So that's why I said that. We... we we are each made unique in God's presence. You are special to Him. There's no one else in all of history that's been made exactly like you. And you have the ability to love God in a way that no one else has been able to love based on the unique part of who you are. Don't compare yourself. The other reason people struggle with God's love and to believe that He is this way is because they have done something to dishonor him and they feel unworthy. And this, this was the younger brother. Look at verse 19. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. Maybe there are those of us who feel, you know, Peter, I, <laughs> you don't know the stuff that I've done. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what you've done. Because it's not about your worthiness. You don't have to make it all the way back, but you have to turn back toward Him. I just want to say, this, this is what God would say to you. This is the truth. When we've believed a lie about God or ourselves, we need the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this is based on what God says in His Word. Maybe it's for you personally today. Some of you here believe that your lives are insignificant and without purpose. And some of you really think your time on earth came just as a coincidence. And that nobody really cared And nobody took the time To plan To shape, to mold The way you are The way you think The way you look The way you feel And that nobody thinks you're special Or precious in their sight But the Lord would say to you but I have given you a purpose for living, my child. I have called you by name. And I have chosen you to do something special for me. And no one else can do it just like you can. The gifts that I have given to you are unique, my child. And a long, long time before anyone else had even seen your face or heard you cry, 
or felt your tiny fingers tightly holding their own finger and a very long time before anyone knew your name oh you you're a dream in my heart you were conceived for a special purpose and I knew I had plans and a future And I hoped that you would serve me For I have given you a purpose for living My child Yes, I have called you by name And I have chosen you And it's to do something special And just for me no one else can do it and just like you can for the gifts that I have given to you are unique my child and perhaps the Lord the Lord would challenge you today with this and say so don't don't go your own way Don't, don't serve your own plans For I, I will cause a new day to dawn Just to rise up and walk And listen to my voice Oh no, don't, don't go your own way to my voice For I have given you a purpose for living My child Yes, I have called you by name And I have chosen you to do something special for me And no one else can do it just like you can for the gifts that I have given to you they are unique my child in this reverent moment let me just say this that we all need to understand the Father's love, the God, God's heart for us, and that he does love us. Some of us have experienced the, the, the just side of God. Maybe you've experienced the, what you would say is the uh, judgment side of God, the religious side that maybe has been taught to you. Every one of us needs to have a revelation of the Father's heart for us. Every one of us. And maybe you had it a long time ago and it's faded over time or... Maybe you've never had it. Maybe you just do what you do because you just, you're afraid. You've got the fear of the Lord 
but it's a literal fear where you're afraid of God. That's not God's heart. Every one of us are here for a purpose. It's first and foremost to receive his love and to know him. The plan he has for you to walk that out looks different for every one of us, but for all of us, it's the same, that it is meant for us to know and love God. And I just wanna pray for all of us this morning, or this afternoon, just that God would give us that fresh revelation. It's a great word from Peter. Just yeah. But church, I know, if I know anything about our God, I know that he wants you to know his love. And it does not matter what you've done, just like Peter said, it doesn't matter what you've done. There's nothing you could do that could make it to where he wouldn't receive you. And the opposite is true for some of us, we need to understand there's not enough we can do to make him love us. It's about receiving it and knowing it in our heart. Let's pray this, this afternoon. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that your heart for us is one of love. And God, I know as much as anyone that life can get in the way of really being able to bask in that love that you have for us. Lord, I know some of us have had bad examples of fathers. Some of us have maybe had no example of a father. And God, we have allowed the earthly examples to skew our view of who you really are. And we haven't understood or, or remembered the heart you have for us. But God, I pray today for every person under the sound of my voice that you would give us a fresh revelation of who you are a fresh revelation of your love, the love of that father that didn't wait for the son to get all the way back. He didn't even listen to his speech that he had prepared. He just hugged him and he said, go get the stuff because we're gonna have a party tonight. That is your heart for each and every one of us. And God, we receive that today. Would you do a work in our hearts today? If it's a reminder, if this is the first time some of us have ever heard that that's how God feels towards us, Lord. Let it germinate in our hearts. Let it produce fruit in our lives, God. Thank you for your redeeming love. Thank you for giving us all a purpose. Thank you that we don't have to go our own way, but we can live for you because of what you've done for us and because of who you are. We thank you today that you did not wait for us to be good enough. I love that verse because it it almost doesn't make sense in the natural mind to think that he, you would have to wait till we're good enough to die for us because we could have never been good enough. But you didn't wait. Your word tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were in the worst place we could possibly be, you came, you died, and you rose again. We worship you today, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence in this place today, God. Do your work. We honor you, we glorify you. Let your name be exalted in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Praise God one more time.